Please turn in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6. Today, how, do we celebrate or are we sorry about this? I'm ending a two and a half year study of the book of Ephesians this morning, and then we're diving into Christmas. But we've been looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and I want to look at that closing passage he's just finished up, speaking about the armor of God and spiritual warfare, and he talks about prayer as the means. Notice, I want you to notice, even before I read this, prayer is not one of the other pieces of armor. That in this particular text, when he goes through the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and all this, it starts, and even the reading is going to start like mid-sentence, praying, because prayer is the means to appropriate the resources of Christ and the Spirit. Prayer is the means to call down that kingly power and put on Christ. So a key question as we're looking at this, here's the question I want you to think about. I'm going to give you... and. I, You may be frustrated with me because I'm giving you more a mindset towards prayer than a method of prayer. And I know we live in the 21st century where we're all about technology and we want methods, but Paul's not giving a method here. Paul is giving a gospel mindset towards prayer. So I'm challenging you to be thinking about how goes it with your prayer life? How is it with my prayer life? How do I think about prayer? What is my vision for prayer in my life? Now let's turn our hearts to the word of God, beginning at verse 18 of chapter 6, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, by your spirit, I pray that you would take and apply and bless your word to our lives. Not simply that we learn about Christ, but that we apply Christ and adore Christ and proclaim Christ and leave this place strengthened to live Christ. I think of the words of that great hymn, O Come All Ye Faithful, that says, Come and behold him. And my prayer for this time of worship is that we, through the power of the spirit, would behold Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. So I was doing research for uh, our time together this morning. I came upon a particular writer on the book of Ephesians, and he gives the following illustration, kind of depicting Paul's situation that he found himself in. He says, imagine an eagle with clipped wings or a great ocean liner stuck in the Sahara sands. Imagine a basketball player with his ankles tied together or a railway locomotive in a plowed field. Then he goes on to say, now imagine an ambassador wearing chains in prison. He says, Paul knows it's a bizarre picture, but it's his reality, and he highlights it so as to emphasize his absolute need and dependency on prayer. He's not simply doing, you ever notice when we have like a missions moment or something coming in? I often wonder how we respond and how our missionaries feel 
when they say, you know, they're going to give an update. Here's what God's doing. Here's how our family is. Here's how things are. And then they'll say, and pray for me. And I hope we never take that as a tack on or as an add on, because I don't think that's how the missionaries ever mean it. It is their absolute life breath. And Paul here is not adding. Notice what this is how he's ending his letter. He's ending his letter with prayer for the Christian, for the believer in the midst of spiritual battle, facing the temptations of the flesh, the temptations of the world, the cosmic spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, appropriating the resources of Christ himself, his truth, his faith, his righteousness, his salvation, how? Through prayer. And then he says, pray also for me. And he doesn't say, I'm going before the parole board, I'm going before Caesar, I'm going before, pray for my circumstances. He's not, no, look at what he says to pray for. Pray that words may be given me, that I may declare the glory of the gospel, that I may proclaim and announce and herald the good news of King Jesus, and I may do so more and more boldly as I ought, since I'm an ambassador in chains. See, Paul is determined to go on announcing, proclaiming, heralding the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, even from a prison cell. And how will he find the right words to say? How will he find the boldness to be able to confront people who have the power to kill him? since he is in prison, by the way. How will he find those things? The answer is prayer. Prayer is the power to call down the power of the kingdom to advance the glorious news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prayer is calling down kingly power in our lives as we face and fight pride and unbelief and fear and loneliness and doubt. And prayer is the means by which we express, and this is why I said it's much more a vision and a kind of a, how do I word this? It is not a method for prayer. It's a mindset towards prayer. Because I want you to think about something. Prayer is the way we express our union with God through Jesus Christ. And I just want you to think about something. The psalmist in the Old Testament says, how lovely is the dwelling place. Of God. How lovely are your courts? How lovely is your dwelling place? Now, I want you to tie the little redemptive history here, a little biblical theology, tie this in with the New Testament. Where now is the dwelling place of God? It's his people. God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, indwells his believers, indwells his children. You're no longer led externally looking out for a pillar of cloud and fire going, Wait a second, fire came down at night, we need to, cloud came up, we, it's external. Now it's internal. The law of God written on your mind, the law of God written on your hearts, the dwelling place. How lovely is the dwelling place of God, the psalmist says, and the dwelling place of God is your heart and the sanctuary and the people of God. And prayer is the way we express that intimate, connected union with God. We need much more a mindset towards prayer than a method of prayer. And I'm not throwing out methods. I'm just going, that's not what Paul is speaking about here. When he says praying at all times in the spirit with all sorts of prayers, all sorts of supplications, praying always for the saints. And by the way, pray for me as well. There's a mystery to this because you're expressing the most deep, intimate, connected union there is. Deeper than the union of husband and wife, even the union of husband and wife is but a mere picture and mirror of that. It is the union of Christ 
and his church. And friends, we need to be captured and captivated by our union with God through Jesus Christ. And prayer is the breathing, life-giving expression of that union. So now, let me ask you this question. Do you believe in prayer? And I know we all say yes, but do we really? Let's close out our study of the book of Ephesians looking at this, because isn't it kind of fascinating? Think about this. How did Paul open his study, his letter to the Ephesians? It was a prayer. It was a eulogy, a prayer of praise, a blessing to God. He began it, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's lifting in a God-exalting, God-centered way who has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ, rooting us in the blessings of election, adoption, redemption, forgiveness, the spirit, inheritance, the revelation of mystery, that he's going to sum up all these things, things in heaven and things on earth in Christ. And then how does he end his letter? Beseeching and exhorting God's children to join him in praying, praying down kingly power into your life to root you and renew you in the gospel and joining him in praying that that glorious gospel would not stay put in a prison cell but would go out to the ends of the earth so that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And let's look at this mindset of prayer from two angles, two perspectives, and just examine briefly a pattern of prayer and a purpose of prayer writer by the name of A.C. Dixon, and to be honest, I found this quote and don't know who A.C. Dixon is, but I, I like the quote, so I'm going to use it and attribute it to the right place. If somebody knows who A.C. Dixon is, they can tell me, but I like this quote. He says this. He says, when we depend upon organizations, we get what organizations can do. When we depend upon education, we get what education can do. When we depend upon man, we get what man can do. But when we depend upon prayer, we get what God can do. The best word I can use to describe the pattern of prayer Paul describes here and exhorts the children of God to here is comprehensive. Four times in verse 18, he uses the word all. Believers are told to pray at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, and they are to make supplication for all the saints. Kind of sounds like what he's saying to the Thessalonians when he says, pray without ceasing. Now, I have to admit, I read this, and I studied this text, and I put this together, and I looked at that, and I thought about what my attitude, and so often, so many of, it seems, the attitude within the church of, a, you know, you read a line like, pray without ceasing. And I know we have a very high view of Scripture, the inspiration, the infallibility, the inerrancy of Scripture, but sometimes I wonder how seriously we take Scripture. Do you think Paul was joking when he said pray without ceasing? So often we tend to be so dismissive of it. What am I supposed to just mutter prayers as I'm walking down the line? What am I, you know, here come the football game. I pray, Lord, is that what he means by that? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever kind of not taken as seriously as we ought to the mandate to pray without ceasing? The imperative and the comprehensiveness of this pattern of prayer Paul is laying out. He's saying, are you aware of the spiritual battle you're in? Are you aware of the forces of evil who they don't tolerate you? They hate you. They're opposed to the gospel of God, the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Are you aware of the battles of the flesh, of the soul, of the world, and of the evil one? 
And are you aware of the resources God has given you that he is benevolently, graciously saying, they're yours at your disposal to call down in your life. Pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Why don't we take it more seriously? Why don't we pray? See, some of it gets back to, I think, what, we were, what I mentioned earlier, I think sometimes we get stuck and we're looking for a method of prayer. We hear prayer and we think devotional, prayer time, quiet time, and that's certainly to be part of it. But we're not thinking holistically, which is, by the way, the way the Bible is written. The Bible is written very holistically. It's, not written, it's Presbyterian pastors that put things in outlines. Okay? In terms of the way the Bible is written, it is much more written holistically, giving you a theology and a mindset towards this. So one of the things that our hang-up on method does to us is it causes us, and I think this is one of the enemies of prayer, it causes us to compartmentalize. This is my prayer time, and I pray now. This is my time I go to work. This is my time I spend with family. This is the time I chase my children around the house. This is the time I take them to soccer. This is the time. That's not the way the Bible is written. The Bible is thinking compartmentalize as you chase your children around the house. Prayer is that life breath of your union with God. You're expressing intimate union. You're not divorced from Jesus Christ when you're chasing your child around your house. You're not divorced from Jesus Christ when you're speaking to your spouse and you're trying to understand their needs and their passions and their hurts and their heart. You're not divorced from union with God when you're watching TV at night. You're not divorced from union with God. See, do you understand that what makes you a Christian is not belief. Belief is the means, it's the conduit. But what makes you a Christian is you're united to Jesus Christ. And being united to Jesus Christ... That's how everything Jesus earned in both his active and passive obedience is passed on to you. So let me give you the hard news. Why don't we pray? Why don't we experience and express our union with God? In a nutshell, and this is where brutal honesty with ourselves is needed. This is the hard part of the sermon, by the way. See, at least I'll warn you. We're too proud. We're too arrogant. See, prayer is hard work. And to pray, and to pray, to grow in this, again, not method, but mindset of prayer, this pattern of prayer, to pray at all times requires a dependency on God. The, bless, the best place to show you this dependency is one of the parables of Jesus out of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, and I've, I've preached on this and taught this before, but Jesus tells a story about a persistent widow and an unjust judge. Luke 18, and verse 1 says, Jesus is going to tell this story, and he gives you the point of the story right off the bat, that we ought to learn always to pray, and then he says, and not lose heart. In other words, I think Jesus is telling us right at the outset, prayer is hard, prayer is a mystery, prayer is hard work, you're going to struggle with it, and I'm going to tell you this story to teach you that it's going to expect hard work, and here's a story to teach you not to give up, to keep going, not to lose heart. And in verse 2, he says, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about man. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, 
even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. I have to be honest, I love that story. That to me is one of the coolest stories in the Bible, because let me paraphrase this for a little bit. There's this judge. You want to talk law of God, he could care less about it. I mean, it comes right out. He doesn't give a rip about people. He doesn't give a rip about God. He's all about himself. Self-absorption, self-interest. And then there's this widow. And you look at this woman. She knows what she wants, and she won't stop until she gets it. And why is this so? Because as a widow, she knows her situation. She knows how powerless, helpless, let me put it in a word, how utterly desperate her situation is. A commentator on this put it this way. He said, her situation was desperate. As a widow, she was one of the most vulnerable members of society. Therefore, she was entitled to special protection under the law of God, who is the defender of widows. Yet, when she was attacked by an enemy, no one came to her defense. And since she was too poor to hire a lawyer, see, she doesn't get a dream team. She had no one to protect her. Though her cause was righteous, she found herself at the mercy of injustice. Lacking any power or protection, the woman had only one thing going for her, her persistence. And if you look at this, the judge says, I mean, he's not really bowled over by loving her, because even the text says, since she keeps on bothering me. In other words, he's still about self-interest. He says, I'm finally going to give her what she wants because she's a pain in the neck, and she's not going to stop. And Jesus is commending her persistence. Now, friends, let's be honest about this for a second. Look at this. It's got to be that one of the major reasons we don't pray is to be, to put it too simply, we're too proud. We don't see our dependency because we don't see our desperation. We've got pretty good lives. Yes, we struggle. We're doing, we're not desperate. We read Ephesians 6 and we're going, Spiritual warfare, maybe, but I'm doing pretty good at avoiding lust and avoiding major things. I'm not, yeah, I struggle from time to time and I need to avoid them. We're not desperate. We don't say like the psalmist did, as the deer pants for streams of water, because we don't pant, we don't thirst. The psalmist said, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants after you. Only a thirsty soul pants after God. We've got all the water in the world. We've got all the blessings in the world. So we don't express our union with God because we're not desperate. We'll only grow in praying at all times. Think about the text. Pray at all times in the spirit with all sorts of prayers and supplications for all the saints. Do you see your desperation? And now the good news. Do you see the resources to be appropriated and the benevolence and the generosity of God? I've got to take us back here because in the text here, verse 18 says, pray at all times in the spirit. Don't miss those words, please. And I need to take you back to the scripture Shane read for us. Where in Luke 11, and of course, what do you have? The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Good start. There's the start of desperation. I want to know when the last time you, part of your prayer was, Lord, teach me to pray. There could be the application right there. Maybe we need to go, Lord, teach me to pray, instead of assuming we understand it. 
because the disciples who lived with him said, teach me to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus gives them the content of prayer with the Lord's Prayer, but then he gives them, he says, I say to you, ask and it will be opened to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which if you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And I've shared this story from Tim Keller before, but it bears repeating again. Tim Keller asks, how do we know our perspective is off and we need a healing of perspective? And he says, I want you to imagine a conversation between you and Jesus. And Jesus says, friend, child of mine, go ahead and ask for anything. Ask for the stars. Dream big. I'm here. I'm benevolent. I'm generous. And I'm waiting to answer your prayers. I want to bless you. I want to give to you. I want to knock your socks off. I'm betrothed to you. I'm your husband. You're my bride. You are my beloved. I long to give. We're united together. Ask for the greatest thing you can think of. Don't be afraid. I will give it to you. And your, your mouth's hanging out and your tongue's wagging and you're going, really? And he says, yes. Ask for the Holy Spirit. And you go, huh? Now, the very fact that you went, huh, and didn't go, yes, that's the greatest gift I could ever get, reveals you need a healing of perspective. See, when he offers you the Holy Spirit, what is he offering you? He's offering you himself. He's offering you the gospel. He's offering you true humanity, what it means to be a human being. Because he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature. That's why he was born the newborn king. That's why he came in flesh to reveal what humanity was supposed to be. And in the person of the Holy Spirit, he communicates it to us. He unites himself to us. He gives it to us. So he's giving us his personality and his character, his holiness, his mind, his wisdom, his generosity. He is communicating those. And we don't think that highly of God, do we, when Paul tells us to pray in the Spirit? See, in John chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus told us exactly what the role and the function of the Holy Spirit was when he says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and deliver it, reveal it, make it known to you. In other words, he will help you. The Spirit is the very resource God gives you to help you remember the gospel to remember the blessings that Paul praised God for, eulogized God for, rooted us in. When he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, for he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us before the foundation of the world to be adopted, heirs of Christ. What does God own? The world, what does he get? You're an heir of Christ. What do you own? Through God, the world. You're given the vocation of managing and stewarding the world. And then he gives you the spirit as the resource to remember those things. Oh, friends, if you think you remember the gospel, 
think again. Our greatest need is to remember the gospel. And God has given us the spirit to continue. So as you think comprehensively, don't compartmentalize. As you're working, investing, doing life, all that you're doing, you're doing it in partnership, in union with God. What did Paul say to the Colossians? He said, the mystery of the gospel is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the pattern of prayer. Prayer is the means of expressing your union with God. Now, real briefly, if that's the pattern of prayer, what's the purpose of prayer? In a nutshell, that it would go from us to the whole world. Because look at what Paul is saying in verse 19. Paul takes his whole focus. He said, you're in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual warfare. You have these resources. Prayer is the means to appropriate these resources. And by the way, I'm in a spiritual battle too. Okay, I'm in chains. I'm an ambassador in chains. But you know what? I'm not worried. I'm not fretting. You know why? Because you're going to join with me in prayer. And you know what you're going to pray for? You're going to pray that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. Isn't that amazing? Here's the Apostle Paul praying that he'd be able to open his mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Here he is praying for gospel boldness, to be able to go before Caesar. Last I read, Nero wanted to take his head off. And Paul's not praying that his head would be spared, he's praying that he would share the gospel with Nero. Any of you blown away? And he's asking the Ephesians, and by the way, he asks the Philippians and the Colossians and others to do the same, to pray for him, for the sense of gospel boldness. And you know what blows me away with this? A couple of marks of this kind of kingdom-centered prayer here that I notice. Notice that he's asking the church to do this. None of this American Christianity that I am afraid is so individualistic. He's saying, family, covenant family, let's join together in praying that the glorious news that King Jesus has ushered in his kingdom would be able to be declared boldly by me, an ambassador. And by the way, to the Corinthians, he said, you also are ambassadors. So we're ambassadors in Christ as well. Let's pray together corporately the community of God. Let's stop being so individualistic in our walk with Christ. And then the second mark is notice how God-centered the prayer is. Words may be given to me in opening my mouth to declare boldly the mystery of the gospel. Jack Miller used to like to say that the promises of the gospel, the promises of scripture, are like the handrails that you hold on to in a thrill ride. See, I was never a daredevil, even growing up. Peer pressure got me on some of those roller coasters. I never really much liked them. But all of a sudden, we'd go on a roller coaster, and I would go on everybody, you know, they were into worship. They'd raise their hands or something like that. <laughs> I was much more into, <laughs> get me off this thing, and look cool at the same time. The promises of God are like the handrails on the triple loop-to-loop of the roller coaster of life. And it is only as you feel the desperation of the triple loop to loop of the roller coaster of life and then see the generosity of God that he says, if you, though you're evil, I mean, think about this, dads. If you, though not too sharp, pretty wicked, 
Not the brightest bulb on the, on the planet. But when your son comes to you, you know how to bless him. You know how to give him a good gift. I love that Jesus says, how much more? You know what we need? I think this is part of worship and the fear of God and the awe of God. We need to have a bigger view of God. God has to become greater, more famous, more renowned in, our, in the eyes of our heart. How much more is your father willing to give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You never have the excuse of not having the resources. He's giving you himself. We don't have, James said, because we don't ask. How goes it with our prayer life? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would become a praying church, not just praying individuals and not just a method of prayer, but a mindset where we're dependent, where we're helpless, where we're desperate, where we sit there and go, there's no understanding of the gospel in our own lives. We need the Spirit. And where we believe in the how much more will your Father. I pray that we would see you as you really are, a gloriously generous God who longs to exalt yourself by mercifully giving us your spirit, that we would live in union with you. Oh, that we would see you as you are, not in the image we make you to be, but in how you present and reveal yourself to be. In Jesus' name, amen.